Ladies and gentlemen. Pacific Sound Radio. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and thank you for joining us on another installment of Quarantine Edition. This week we are joined by Carrie Mercer of Soft Plastics. Soft Plastics is the latest musical project of vocalist-guitarist Carrie Mercer, who is most well-known in Canadian music circles as the songwriter and visionary behind the Polaris Prize-nominated art rock act Frog Eyes. After an impressive 17-year run from 2001 to 2018, after concluding Frog Eyes after an impressive 17-year run from 2001 to 2018, Kerry and his collaborators look to broaden their musical horizons as soft plastics with the release of their fascinating and unconventional debut record titled Five Dreams. How are things going, Kerry? Things are going good. Good enough. How have you been managing quarantine and self-isolation and all that stuff? Um, probably doing okay. Um, when it in was I guess it was like March 13th when uh, that was I'm a, I'm in an, I, I work in an elementary school and so it was kind of gnarly think you know watching all the other provinces closing the schools and just thinking what is this gonna be like you know because kids can't self-isolate and germs properly scare me <laughs> uh and uh so i was quite happy when they closed schools and then just kind of adjusted you know um miss miss people but uh also didn't really want to see them at the same time because it's the double whammy like i might be an asymptomatic carrier uh and so might they be you know so and uh whatever and so there's been like probably for lots of people like kind of um waves of like oh i'm gonna read a book like oh my gosh like i'm gonna go explore new music like kind of use this time and then it's just and then you're just like ooh, like i don't know there's something um there's something so social about like reading or finding new music you want to share it and, you, and it's seen it's weirdly wrapped up in 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 your community i guess and when you when you don't have that it's kind of like what am i going to send just send a text to a friend saying like i really like this book like it's kind of weird that kind of thing would happen very effectively and organically in backyard conversation for example um but not not just like as a out of the blue text. I've tried a bit and it just, I don't know, it feels weird. So I'm starting to lose it a bit <laughs> at this point. Cause it's been a long time since I've, uh, you know, had the joy of like drinking a beer in the park. Yeah. How are you? Doing all right. The advantage I've had with the, with my day job is that 
when they closed down the office, I've been able to work from home consistently since then. One of the things that's helped is just I've been trying to keep myself busy as much as I can. Restarting the the, the podcast in a quarantine-friendly format has been fantastic for me. Uh, it is a it is a way for me to ca- connect with people, and it's honestly made it uh, easier for me to have different guests on the on the show because we used to record at a remote location uh, on a specific day and time, but we've got a little bit more flexibility with this format. What I was gonna say, I listeners won't see this, but. We've got the video call, call call going, and I see you're surrounded by all of your gear and instruments. Have you been keeping up writing during yeah, this time? I, yeah, uh, I did. I wasn't like, you know, when you're in your normal course of life, you're like, oh man, I would kill just to have some free time. Um, and I, and when the like, I still have to work, just the same as you, and the same as lots of people. So you know, I I still work, but for some reason, I it isn't as exhausting. I don't find it as stressful uh, because certain parts of the job, like the commute, just getting to work, so brutal. Um, maybe like elements, social elements of work. Like, I simultaneously miss, like, I miss the people I work with, but at the same time, I, like, I like, you know, if I want to talk to someone, I can talk to someone. I'm not forced to enter into some kind of, you know, social relationship. Um, So, after a while, I found, like, I actually did have some creative energy all of a sudden, and I think that the the totality of of work really does strangle your creative energy. so yeah, I started writing songs and, um, I also was like, you know, I played, I don't know if you play an instrument, I think, especially guitar, you, you do plateau. And, uh, so I've been just trying to be like, how exactly is a human being supposed to hold a guitar pick? Those, cause I, I've never taken lessons and I don't, I don't really actually understand <laughs> guitar. <laughs> So I've been trying to like, you know, learn on YouTube, but it's so brutal. It's so brutal. So you have, you know, it's like just the the personalities of some of the people are really toxic. Um, But anyways, yeah. So I've been trying to learn how to hold a guitar pick and I guess the two are coming together and and I I just find, find myself sitting on a bunch of songs right now. It's weird, though, because usually I would be like, okay, I've got 12 songs, like, and, and there's a whole, you know, host of, um, a, almost a debilitating host of routes I can take now. I can record them myself. I can book time in a studio. I can ask someone to be the um, supervisor or the overseer. All those things um, would be normal ponderances but i don't i don't feel ready at all to be like hey you wanna let's get together and you know um make some beats together or or whatever yeah um i guess when that time comes it will come it'll be obvious when it comes and i think that's that'd be really neat actually but i don't think psychologically psychically i'm there yet but yeah it's been it's been good for for just playing yeah 
I get what you mean when it comes to playing with other people. I'm I'm kind of in a bit of a waiting in the middle of the waiting game my myself. I have basically secured a bass gig with a with a new band and I'm friends with the drummer, but no one in the band is comfortable with even the prospect of practicing in person just yet. Yeah. Even though, you know, some jam spaces are like, "Oh, you can do it, but here's all the Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, because the idea of being in a tight and closed space with someone while they're like, you know, blowing shit out of their lungs <laughs> seems really, <laughs> really uh, inappropriate right now. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just wait. Yeah. It, as you said, the, the time will come when it's yeah. here and Our, everyone will be aware when yeah, that's right. we're at yeah. that point. We were... Um, we were supposed to play our first show as with this band um, at Red Cat Records for Record Store Day, which would have been like, I don't know, April 23rd, something like that, April 21st. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, up February and March, we were really racing, and um, this has been a different process for trying to get the band together because we're trying to play with pre-recorded beats, which is this own nightmare as well as super awesome you know it's really it's you're once you go down that road you're like oh my gosh i'm trapped <laughs> i'm trapped in the machine but the machine is also so powerful that it, it's pretty neat um so we're just trying to, we, were, we were just trying to figure that out and then when you know when covid came we we're like okay well what do we do? Let's, you know, let's keep jamming. Like there was that kind of in between time where it wasn't quite no, you know, looking back, it's like, Oh, I can't believe we did that or thought that would be a good idea. Um, but then, you know, of course we were like, nah, let's just stop. And it's, it, it's weird. It's weird to, to put so much energy into something when you have this really specific goal where like, Oh my God, maybe your friends are coming, you know, to record store day or just the idea of like, Oh, we're playing at red cat. Like, you know, uh, that to me is more of, it's almost more of a like important space than, you know, uh, a hollowed concert stage (laughs) in a way. (laughs) Plus, you play in a record store, it's like, it's warts and all, right? You don't have like a booming kick drum mic or you don't have that, you know, the subs kicking in. You don't sound big. Uh, I kind of like that, actually. Just like, well, this is just, this is it, you know? Um, so you I think got to be good uh, to pull it off. Um, so we were working towards that. Um I don't know. I don't know where, where I'm going with this, actually. <laughs> no worries. I mean, we were reflecting on kind of where things have gone in the last few months and where things are sure. now. But obviously, I'd love to focus on Soft Plastics, which is your, your new project. Uh, I'll wind back a little bit because, of course, we haven't had you on the on the show before and you have quite a long history being involved in the Vancouver music scene. And of course, prior to this band, uh, you were the main guy behind Frog Eyes, 
uh, and two of your albums were longlisted for the Polaris Music Prize. You received critical acclaim from a number of music publications, most notably Pitchfork. And you had the opportunity to perform and collaborate with uh, Dan Bayer of Destroyer. Why then did you decide to end that band? Oh, I mean, just like when, just literally, like when you were just rattling that stuff off, I just like felt such a sense of fatigue. <laughs> it's like, all right, that, uh, you know, you just, I don't know, you just, you you get tired of yourself. You get tired of the context of, of a band's name and a band's history. And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I felt like, I, like since 2001 and now that I've like grown and changed as a musician or something, I don't know. Um, but like, you know, at the same time, I think that's bullshit. Um, it's just me. Uh, um I am who I am. I sound like what I sound like. But I just, your song starts to weigh on you. And and also, you get the sense that, like, every time you bring in a new song, you, you somehow, like, sully or it's a discredit to the other songs. It's like, well, why would you make new songs when you have, like, ten records? Why wouldn't you just live off the laurels and the fat of those songs? And then you're like, oh, wait, I can't because <laughs> they never really made me any money uh, in spite of that critical acclaim. Uh, but that's not really why. I just am a compulsive songwriter, I guess. Um, I really enjoy it. Kind of need to do it. And I just wanted the, the songs to be considered in, in a ever so slightly different context. And seriously, it might be just just a new band name can um, allow me to think of myself in a different context. And it's worked. It's worked. Names are important. Names are super important. So give yourself a new name. You feel ever so fresher. And I think that's just what I wanted and needed. And it's, it's that simple. It has its drawbacks. Like, I think what you're saying is like, well, you you built like, you know, a name for yourself. Why would you walk away from that? Um, I don't know. Just so I could feel a little, little fresher. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And besides the name, obviously being new and different, what is it about soft plastics that stands out from other groups that you've been involved in? I asked because you've also released music under the name blackout beach and yeah. you were also involved in a songwriting project uh, called Swan Lake. Swan Lake. <laughs> um, Blackout Beach was intended to be like a solo project, and to, was supposed to be a little bit more quieter and ruminative, and thoughtful, introspective. Whereas Frog Eyes was like very loud and brash, and um, supposed to be big sounding. I think. Um, so that in my mind, that was the difference. And Swan Lake was just like, okay, let's the three of us friends um, get together and throw some mics up in a room and see what happens. It's, it's a, it's, I don't know, it's a nice idea. Um, and then I think I just, you know, in the end, it was just Frog Eyes because people were 
people would say, don't dilute yourself, only have one project. Um, and I was like, okay, sure. So I'll just stick to this project. And then I think I just, I hit a point where, like I said, I just needed to, uh, um, feel fresh again. Um, just soft plastics sound completely different than frog eyes. Probably not, but I think it does have some new approaches and we're playing with some new people. Um, like we've never had electronics, um, for example, we never had, you know, electronic music. Could, could it have been called frog eyes? Sure. Totally. Absolutely. Easily. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, so to me, it's not, it really, like, I'm really telling the truth. It's, it was just wonderful to walk away from your own, from your own canon or your own, uh, body of work and, and try and start a new one. Um, and it's been, it's, I mean, it, it is a fairly, like, it's a commitment. Like I won't play Frog Eyes songs anymore. Um, and some of the songs, that's a bit, might be a bit sad for some people, you know, like some of the songs are quite dear to some people in the world. And, but that, then I guess it's incumbent on me maybe to try and try and, and write a, a new batch of meaningful songs that that's very appealing to me. Yeah. And one of the ways that you're marking this clean break, of course, is with the upcoming release of the debut album by soft plastics, five songs. What did the recording yeah, recording process entail for this record, particularly in comparison to the final frog eyes album, which I understand was completed in, a somewhat claustrophobic environment in this room that you can see this is yeah this is our studio um yeah i mean in comparative terms it uh, you know when in comparison to a big studio uh the it was more claustrophobic i think i don't know if claustrophobic is the right word i just i think i got tired of like big sounds you know like that um classic like let's get the led zeppelin drum sound you know which you need a massive room to get um and i just was like what would it sound like if you recorded all the drums very close up um and did them individually for example every you know i mean let's see it's 2020 i guess you could say i started making this kind of music in year 2000 so that's 20 years easy uh, you need new strategies, right? And the tiniest little strategy can feel like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've kicked open the door and invented a new genre, which is not the case, but it's good to feel like that. You know, you know, you're wrong, you know, it's foolish, but it is, it's very emboldening to have that feeling when you start off. Um, I think it's really important not to be overly critical when you start a project, you know, just whatever your, whatever your impulse is, you should just run with it. Um, so my impulse for this was I wanted to relinquish control and I wanted other people to have a big stamp or fingerprint on the record. Um, so I was, and I was talking to the person that runs our record label and I was like, you know, like way less of an auteur approach. And he was like, Oh, but you do understand that like 
giving people complete freedom is is in itself a kind of auteur approach it's it's its own like you know <laughs> kind of idiosyncratic approach and I, I thought that was kind of funny but anyways um yeah so I I, I kind of looked around and I thought okay 20 years like I said I you know I've been making this kind of music for 20 years who who else is out here with me like who else have I known for a good portion of that time? Uh, who else could, and, and I kind of wanted to work with, with at least a few people like that. And, um, and Josh Wells, uh, the Black Mountain Lightning Dust um, brain, rhythmic brain, immediately sprung to mind. Um, plus he's, he's really emerging in the city, I think, as, a, as an important producer of music. Um, and he works out of a studio, which is in um, my friend Dan's backyard. And I was like, okay, well, that works. That would be really fun. So I just demoed the songs to, like, you know, some kind of, like, Pro Tools boogie beat, and um, which I asked, also thought was super cool. <laughs> I was like, maybe he'll use some of my beats. Uh, and I sent them, just sent a, a really rough sketch of the song to Josh. And then he would, he just went nuts. And it was really neat. It's always neat to hear what someone does with your music. And he really uh, went to town and um, they, the songs felt so different when they came back, which is really fun. And then Mel, uh, my uh, drummer and our, you know, my partner, um, sat down on the acoustic drums because electronic drums are wonderful because they give you a bunch of, uh, uh, like a scope or spectrum of fidelity. They give you a bunch of high end and they give you a bunch of low end. But I still think acoustic drums um, have this complex mid-range punch that don't that's you know that's why they're still around um i might be wrong i'm i might there might you know an electronic um drum artist might be like oh no 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 like <laughs> but to me there's still something about that complex mid-range punch of acoustic drums that i super love so she so josh kind of wrote half a drum part and she wrote half a drum part and to their credit, it comes together to be a pretty rhythmically complex singular drum part where you don't always know which one is the uh, synthetic beat and which one is the, the acoustic one. And I was like, whoa, it just like, it doesn't actually need much at this point, you know, maybe uh, a little bit, you know, some bass, some, some gelling synthesizer maybe some horns, a little bit of pedal steel, but I felt way less compelled to fill, fill the space up um, melodically, which I think normally I, I like to do. Like, let's have eight squiggly guitar parts, you know, three of them pa hard pan to the left channel, three hard pan to the right channel, and then, of course, there's two can go right, right down the middle, uh, and it can be a bit much, but it's also, when it works, it's pretty neat. But anyways... Uh, yeah, it, it was like, oh, so the, these kind of skitter-scatter, rhythmic, little, like almost like bullets or raindrops um, can be the, can constitute like the big part of the sonic field that's coming at you. And then the space that's in between can, 
is really just for gelling and a lot of gelling. So it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. And, and I, you know, to be honest, I never really wrestled with it. I was like, okay, let's go. Let's, let's just fill it up to a certain degree. And when we feel as good, let's send it off to someone and, and have them mix it. Yeah. And what was that first song that you were talking about? That the first song that you worked on before getting on with the rest of the record? The first song is called uh, Saint Tosh the Actor. And it's a, it's a long song. It's about nine minutes long. Um, sometimes I love to write a long song. I don't it, it, like intentionally do it, but it just is like so wonderful to build parts and to really feel like you went on a journey um writing it and then playing it uh and so yeah it ended up really long but it was also like the first song basically i i had no intention of of writing a record um or even i had no fixed intention of continuing to write songs to be honest i was just like oh yeah i mean that might happen in a couple years or whatever um and so Frog Eyes would have played our last show in, in I don't know, July. And then I had the, the rest of the summer to kind of decompress, and it was quite nice. And uh, and then my job started, and I started waking up really early in the morning to read. And sometimes there would just be this kind of um, liminal space between my dream and, you know, it always takes you a few minutes to kind of compose yourself to the point where you can even just look at a page or you know look at a screen or whatever i think most people look at words when they wake up um or sorry i shouldn't say that i think some people look at words when they when they wake up uh but it always takes you a few minutes and sometimes i would instead of reaching for the book i would just reach for the guitar and just kind of just you know um just groan oh, you know <laughs> coming out of sleep and just be playing like just stupid chords, uh, but it was kind of nice. And then one time I had this really visceral, intense kind of narrative dream. And I woke up and I was like, holy shit, this is a really intense, like I said, a really lived, like I was in this world kind of dream. And I just, uh, you know, there was a pen and a piece of paper by the by where we sleep. And I just started jotting down some image fragments from it and um that turned into saint tosh the actor and to me it felt for me it felt like a real i don't know a shift something different i was like this is this is an interesting way to work actually um and then i think my brain was like yes it is and as a reward i'm going to give you like the most amazing dreams <laughs> for the, the next whatever it was six months uh and so i would so five dreams is the name of the record and i i you know it's it's i don't know if this is true or not but looking back it felt true it felt like i was having five kinds of dreams um, which I don't want to go into too much because it, it kind of ruins it, you know, um, for the actual listening of the record. But some of them seem to be set in a consistent place with a consistent kind of um, political, economic, and environment situa environmental situation. And when I was back there, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this place, right? Oh, right, this, this scenario. 
and I would wake up. They're very much end of the night dreams, and I would wake up and and sometimes just be feel again compelled to be like, wow, that was kind of neat. Like, what if I was to just take a pen and describe some of the those fleeting um, images that are are you know d disappearing as the day as the day begins? Yeah. It's funny that you mention dreams being a source of, at the very least, lyrical ideas for this record, coming from someone who has very vivid dreams on a very consistent basis. One thing I read, I think this is in some of the press material for this record, you mentioned that the songs aren't tied to a cohesive theme, but they do exist in a land that's uh, deeply wet, dark, and flooded. Yeah. And I noticed that this environment is reflected in the greeny, it, yeah. yeah, in the greeny brown shades on the album cover itself. How did this visual metaphor for the album itself come together? Was it just like a consistent, like consistent visuals you were having having over the course of multiple you dreams? The, the the actual art on the the cover of the record. Yeah, the art yeah. and kind of like more on a broad level. Well, relating to what you had mentioned about kind of a swamp. Yeah. Or if not a swamp, then I mean, you know what, what Vancouver or think of like, you know, Delta or Richmond, what, what that's like after days and days of rain. Um, and everything is, uh, you know, under, underwater. And then the sun comes out and you're like, Oh, right. This, this will pass, you know? Um, and that was very much a lot of the, feeling and an environment of the dream was like the moments after the flood i guess um as for the actual art um he the artist is a friend of ours and uh we were just looking at his website and i was like oh, that's it and there's something about the kind of silver gelatinous this um uh image that really was like right away it was like this is completely the cover of, of our record if he'll allow us to use it um his name is jason wright um he's an artist uh in vancouver yeah so yeah it just sometimes it just it works and and for me it's like now you know it could the record could have no other cover uh so it's it's nice when when that's the case um it often is in the end. Yeah. Sometimes you just know in that regard. Yeah. It's been the, interesting um, hearing uh, that people are having, uh, you know, these these really vivid, uh, intense lockdown dreams. Because um, I haven't. I'm, I was like, I feel like I had all my, like, covid lockdown <laughs> insane dreams like two years ago or whenever i was making this record uh yeah so now i'm jealous when i'm reading about everyone having you know i don't know do you know about this phenomenon that people being like i had a zombie dream like two nights ago so yeah. I, I consider that to be related yeah yeah for sure yeah i think it's weird though because it might be subconscious because like consciously I can only speak for myself here, but when, you know, things started to shut down and things got real and in mid March, I did have this very profound fear of civilization slowly collapsing, yeah. but that 
has not happened yet, so I kind of got over over that. But it's weird getting a zombie dream, right? Just in the last few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to say. I mean, it's been quite um, sweet to see the way in which people actually are much more communitarian. You know, I mean, in BC especially, it's like okay, let's do this so that the most vulnerable people don't get sick. And it's only the biggest assholes who are like, let's get BC started again. <laughs> you know, like, throw grandma into the fire or fucking whatever. So, you know, I got money to make. It's like, but that's not the prevailing mood. I, I'm I'm shocked. I, it's it's quite nice. Yeah. Um, so I think that it really, maybe after this, we might reevaluate ourselves. Because I think that we... We were told so often that we are individualistic and, you know, would throttle, would throttle someone else just, you know, to make a buck or whatever. If it's, especially, that's the myth that Vancouver uh, tells about itself, right? Oh, it's a very cold place, very self-centered. And it's like, yeah, but actually, I don't know, people have been super willing to put their own personal interests on pause for the good of the many. So... I don't know. Kind of sweet. The joke that one of my coworkers made is uh, Vancouver and BC have been great at flattening the curve because we're so flaky about going out to events anyways. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Your the, the sonic influences you cite for this LP include post-punk, new wave, mariachi, new wave mariachi, dub, hip-hop, and goth rock. Was there ever any concern of losing focus while assembling this record? No, that's that's us looking back. There's little, kind of little inside jokes in there too, like new wave mariachi. But um, yeah, I wasn't taking that at face value. Yeah, that's not really. Um, there, I'm trying to remember what the the fears were. I think just like what. Like, you know, when you're working in new sonic territory, what is this going to end up feeling like? Is this, and there, there's only really one fear is that in the end it's going to be boring. Um, but I feel like there was enough, every song has this like, you know, moment. Uh, for me, it's often associated like a, I'm not singing, the trumpets come in, the drums are going nuts. And I was like, so when I would start to worry, then I would be like, but you can't have boring songs with moments like this. So I wasn't too worried about the gelling because I don't really care about that anyways. I mean, the more eclectic, well, do I care? I don't know. I mean, sometimes things are too all over the place, but better that, I guess, than just stifling... Uh, you know, homogenous, like, we clearly were on record seven of our eight record contracts <laughs> and, and cannot wait to be free of this. Uh, you know, that's, that's the worst. So, and I never had the sense for a second that that was going to be the outcome. Yeah. So, no, no fears. I think one of the things, certainly what I noticed while listening through a number of the Frog Eyes albums, and I checked out some Blackout Beach, and obviously I listened to all the songs you've released off of 
the soft plastics record is your very expressive and unique voice. What have you been doing over the course of 20 years to kind of pushing your voice in different directions kind of sounds weird, but you get what I mean? Like really exploring the instrument that you have. That's a good question. You. Cause like I said, like this, the tiniest little thing, like right now I, I'm trying to open my mouth more so that, um, my body becomes the instrument instrument, not just like my lungs and mouth. Um, and it's really interesting. So any little technical thing like that becomes in some, sometimes the impetus, like, Oh my God, if only I would have known that six months ago, I got to go make a new record to explore (laughs) this, this, whatever, this little thing that I gleaned from someone saying something at one point backstage or something. Um, I don't have any um, technical training whatsoever. So the slightest little thing, the most obvious thing to someone that has had um, some kind of technical training in being a musician, really, I get really excited about it. Like, oh my gosh, like I wish I could go back in time now that I knew knew to do this. Um, so often it's just that. It's like I learned a new way to do something ever so slightly different that makes my breathing more efficient or something. Um, Or, you know, I have an idea, like I think one record we just wanted to make with no headphones. I guess, you know, it's like, it's, it's this, this platonic idea that there is the ideal record. My record exists somewhere in the universe. (laughs) I just have to get there and I haven't gotten there yet. Um, and I have to just keep trying to get there, uh, through, but I feel like if I like, you know, you might be listening and thinking, well, why don't you go get a vocal coach, you idiot and just do it all at once. You know, it's like, okay, but that, you know, then that ruins it, I guess. Um, because I've noticed that learning little bits, a little bit at a time, creates a real uh, creative impetus for me to, to, you know, try and make new records. Yeah. And kind of in a on in a similar way, uh, your partner Melanie Campbell has plays drums in this band and has been, besides you, the only permanent member in Frog Eyes. How has your relationship as musicians changed and evolved after playing together for so many years? Um, in some ways, it's like, you know what? Not much. <laughs> in a better, you know, the, to flip the question, like, how has it stayed the same? We're still quite nervous. We still get, like, um, I think secretly excited about the idea that, like, oh, this person wants to work with us or this person respects us. Like, um, so, you know, Mel is the same. Like she never took drum lessons. She never even started playing an instrument until she, you know, we were early in our dating. Like I had a drum kit and she was like, you know, how could I sit down on this and try it? I've always wanted to try the drums and, you know, um, we're still like, we're still in that, mindset of like just starting out um 
which is cool. You know, it's a good place to be, um, except that you don't really, you don't always feel super confident, but, um, but that's not a bad thing. There's so many type A psychos out there, you know, uh, maybe, maybe dialing back the confidence <laughs> a bit might actually be an A plus move, you know? Um, yeah. As long as it's, as long as you keep making things, you know? Um, but yeah, it's still like, oh my gosh, like, oh, we get to go here. Like, or we, you know, this person is, is wants to, you know, work their magic into our music. That's, that's pretty neat. Um, yeah. So, uh, just, you know, and just within that though, trying to get, uh, not better at your instrument, but more, uh, you know, in a platonic way, more like yourself, more like the ideal expression of yourself. Um, and Mel has a very much has her own perfect style that I think too, she hasn't perfected yet it exists somewhere on you know the periphery of of where we've been and probably where we're able to go but you still try you know um yeah if i could speak for her <laughs> i was kind of hoping she'd be in, be here in the interview but that's okay um besides melanie of course playing the drums and Joshua Wells handling the production. Who were some of the other people yeah, who were involved, involved in the, the making of this record and what they what yeah, do they, they contribute, contribute to, to well, I the process? Well, as important as Mel is, um, musically, um, our our keys player, Shyla um, Seller, is like, you know, when I think there was a time when I said to Shyla, like, you really actually are the missing third person that we need. Um, She's a huge. <laughs> Do you have a bird in there? <laughs> um, I think it's just the upstairs neighbors. I'm uh, recording at my producer's house. Sure, yeah. And they're just, they've just yeah. got like visitors coming by. Yeah, so I don't know. There's something about Shyla that just um, she's a very inspirational person, uh, and uh, she's like an archivist and a uh, an editor. She was just like really a, a very interesting person in life and just has a lot of a lot of zest for life, you know, and that's some that's the kind of person you want to have around um, when you're when you're conceptualizing things. And she's very positive, but also very critical, like, you know, I don't think we should do this. Um, and at first, like, you know, when we talk about confidence, like when she when she first started playing she was just a friend not just a friend but uh, you know it's not like i had picked her out of the you know the um the the pool of established vancouver musicians there are a lot of people out there who maybe are like masterful players but don't actually end up in bands um, and those are the people actually you want to go ask to be in your band because <laughs> again it's like you know you feel like like you're 18 or 19 it's like oh my gosh we got a gig like let's do this you know as a there's not a there's not a hint of cynicism um coming from Shiloh, which is very cool 
Um, so I knew I wanted to work with her. Uh, speak. I'm going back to this thing about confidence. What I was saying was like when we first started playing, she was like, "Well, you know, I know how to play the piano. My mom is a piano teacher. I, you know, I know I know about notes. But why don't you write the melodies and I'll play them?" So we, you know, at first I did a little bit of that. Uh, and this record is very much her. It's it's just like, come on over. Here's the space. Here's the beat. Bring your synthesizer. You pick the sound. And and she has a really interesting um, chord phrasing. It's really it's quite beautiful. Um, and so, the record without her has no gel. It really doesn't. It doesn't coalesce into anything. So. I have, you know, it's it's nice to speak ab about a friend who also plays such a central part, not only in like this record, but just in the kind of forward movement of not myself as a musician, but me, Mel and Shyla, maybe working together um, as musicians together, making new music. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone else is fucking awesome, too. <laughs> you know? Of course. It sounds that you two found a new collaborator, which is certainly exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You've released two music videos so far, and almost half the album at this point is singles. Yeah. What else do you have in the works to promote the record? Uh, yeah, everything, everything considered. Is, yeah. Uh, I think next week we're going to have a... Uh... We're going to go on YouTube and just play the record and um, maybe, uh, I don't really know how it's going to go. It's not my idea, but I, I'm happy to do it. Um, the idea of like connecting with people who like uh, my music, our music is quite, it's pretty sweet actually. I'm pretty into it, you know. Um, so maybe like someone will ask me a question, I can type out the answer. I don't know. Um so there's Are you that, doing like, like a, an AMA thing, or I guess it'd be like yeah, a live stream? Yeah, it's just on YouTube. It's just on. It's just going to be on YouTube on on the Paper Bag Records YouTube site. Yeah, so we're, it's like an album listening party, but of course it happens online. I think that's that's the the uh, the line of promotional attack that we're taking. Uh, and then on June fifth, I'm going to play a concert just in here with this microphone, just me, um, which will be a very different. Um, presentation of, of the songs of course you know uh, I'm pretty excited to do it though um, just just so people can actually hear the root of the song because it, it is quite different than what you would hear on the record um, based on what we've been talking about you know the root of the song that I would have sent to Josh it's barely in there, <laughs> you know? Uh, so to, to kind of return the song to that is, I don't know, it's kind of enticing to me. So I'm pretty excited to do that. And then after that, I don't know, probably just keep on doing that kind of thing, you know, setting up a camera. Maybe at some point we can set up a camera in a studio um, or like in a venue and get at least the three of us up there, um, how we would have done it, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, yeah, I can see that as a next step because I've seen a few different bands do that where obviously with the exception of themselves and a camera person, it's just them in an empty 
venue, but I can, I, I have this thought in mind a few months down the road that more and more acts are going to start to do that. I think just that because the, the sound city, will be better. The city should uh, open up Malkin Bowl in Stanley Park right now for band. And they should just be like, okay, we we're paying for the, uh, I know the city's broke, but fuck who cares uh that's their problem make chip wilson pay for it or whatever <laughs> and uh and not i don't mean ask chip wilson i mean make him pay for it um <laughs> and have have a full-time sound crew and i mean there's tons of good people with a camera and microphones and bands should just be able to be like i want you know 3 p.m on thursday and they should be allowed to go in there and maybe they should just like Box out. So Malcolm Bowl, if you're not from Stanley Park, is like kind of like Central Park um, in New York, and they have this quite a nice little venue, and it's it's open air. So I think you could even have people in there if you like, um, you know, I don't know, figured out a way to keep them apart from each other. I don't know. It might be weird, but could be cool. I was thinking. Now is the time to say, you know let's uh let's start doing this kind of thing yeah exactly i think this is one of those times where being creative is a a good thing because people need people need live music and and events i think that's what what this whole pandemic thing's kind of just proved or shown to so many people is just like how vital and important it is for people's lives so do you, do you think at the end that, I mean, I know people keep saying this, but I wonder, you know, I do, there's a part of me that wonders if when you fall out of the habit of doing something, even if it's, you know, virtuous or makes you, or is central to your identity, when you fall out of the habit of doing it, it's a bit hard at first to get back into the habit. So I, I do worry that when it's lifted, people will be like, oh, well, I, you know, I went a year without live music. I can certainly go the rest of my life. <laughs> or if it'll just be like, wow, that was like, you know, central to my existence. And just, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think it will just vary from from person to per- person. I think anyone who's a, a nutcase about music is going to be... Spending all their spending their entire paycheck on live shows. Cool. I look forward to that even more nuttier. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm probably being naively optimistic about this, but I kind of have this thought that if local shows can get going before international touring acts can come back to Vancouver, there might be more that might help increase some more interest in in local music. Yeah, you know. on the other hand, it is an opportunity for local scenes to build themselves up again. I mean, I feel like even, you know, in the past five years, there's been something that's disappeared, which is local bands opening up for international touring acts or national touring acts, right? It used to be, I mean, I remember like, you know, we in like Frog Eyes opened up for like Cat Power in Victoria. Um, that would never happen now. N- never, ever, ever. Because there's like a whole legion of people who work for, you know, an international touring act to make sure <laughs> that, that that never, ever happens again. That the, that the 
um, International Touring Act never has to, you know, suffer the local act. But I also, and, I, and I'm like, sure, okay, whatever, I get it. But I'm also like, that's, it's, it's really good for musicians in the local scene to be able to play, like, to hear yourself on a big stage. You're like, whoa, that's kind of neat. Or to, you know, you, you kind of align yourself with the acts that you play with. You're like, well... I saw the sound check and you know what? It wasn't that better than what I could do. You know, it's, it does kind of embolden you, I think, to think a bit bigger, to be a little bit more, um, you know, um, to have more efficacy for your own work to say, well, I was on that bill, you know? Um, and so I kind of, you know, I, and I kind of hope that maybe, I don't know where I'm going with this. Like maybe there's a return to that where the, where local acts, you know, um, become the big draws. Because right now, to me, it seems like there's the international and national touring acts that would play like uh, the Vogue or you know the bigger venues, and then and like and then there are hidden scenes of bands that play like you know, the China Cloud or the Toast Collective or, you know, these very off-the-radar acts. And But there's not much in the middle. There's not much like, oh, yeah, you know, um, we, we're a local band, but we play, we also play that venue that where, you know, that maybe 300 people come. Um, so I don't know where, what hmm. I'm saying, uh, but maybe, I guess maybe I'm just wondering if the internet tends to, like, homogenize everywhere so everywhere is the same you go to montreal i went to montreal you know in the summer and we walked into drawn and quarterly the big bookstore and kaput was playing you know destroyers kaput and my friend was like fuck everywhere is everywhere you know everywhere is exactly the same and she was like all the same books being sold at this you know, kind of legendary bookstore are also being sold at the legendary bookstore in Vancouver as the same as a legendary bookstore in Toronto. And just like, and this, the music is the same. And it's like, I don't know. Uh, so I guess maybe what I'm saying is like the lack of international touring, um, the juggernaut maybe will make people be like, okay, well, what's local? Well, you know, what's around me that I can get mm -hmm. into? Yeah, I'm glad I I'm glad I figured out what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you touched on something that again going down my my naive optimistic dream that I kind of have is that like with some of those venues that would otherwise host um, mid level touring acts, they there'd be a little bit more openness to host you know really stacked local bills, and I'm thinking yeah. venues like say rickshaw or uh biltmore yeah. or hell even like imperial or something like that yeah and I, and honestly i feel like those places will probably be super open to that too it's not like they're like you know have this conspiracy to throttle the local scene i think it's just a general feeling of like if it's not big on the internet i.e international it's not very good and i and i take umbrage with that <laughs> i guess you know as do i yeah yeah, so that's all I was trying to say. And 
Kind of on that note, what local bands or artists would you recommend we bring on the show for a future episode? Oh, you should um, ask um, a good friend of mine, uh, Sydney uh, Herman, plays uh, in a group called Hello, Hello Blue Roses, and they went on tour with the last incarnation of Frog Eyes. Um, and uh, are they, they still active? A, they have a new record coming out. Oh, there you so, go. Or well, I shouldn't. I don't know. It hasn't been announced. But, <laughs> But I think she put it on Instagram or something, you know, here's okay. my new record. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's, it's a snazzy record. Yeah. Yeah. So any, anyone else you have in mind? I uh, know that's, I'm going to keep it to, to Sid. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I'll, um, I've definitely seen that name around, which is yeah. kind of a typical Vancouver music fan response, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll look into that for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, Thank you. And no worries. And how can listeners check out your music and keep up with everything you're up to? Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess the stock answer would be to... Uh, <laughs> can't even say it. You know, how, you know how. The name of the band is Soft Plastics. There's Google. You can figure, figure it out from there, I think, yeah. And the record comes out on June 5th, right? June 5th, yeah. And we're and like I said, we're playing a concert on June 5th. Um, that you can find. It's it's an arts collective from Victoria that actually help, I helped start, like, I don't know, 18 years ago or 17 years ago, called the 5050 Arts Collective. And they approached us and said, could you play a little concert for uh, your June 5th show? And we're going to host it on something called Twitch. Um, and yeah, so if you just type in 5050 Arts Collective Twitch Soft Plastics, it, it, that'll, you know, that'll get you there. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's going to be super cool. I'm looking forward to listening to the full record. Of course, a good chunk of it's already been released, but I want to listen to the whole thing front to back. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Carrie, this has been great. Uh, very happy to have you on the, on the show and I definitely want to check your Check the band out when you can play a live show again. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Come up and say hi after we, we play. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Bye then. Bye. Bye, Bye, Bye. Carrie. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Pacific Sound Radio is produced by Mark Lingelbach. You can check us out on Facebook at Pacific Sound Radio, Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio, Twitter at Pacific S Radio, YouTube at Pacific Sound Radio. Our website is www.pacificsoundradio.com, and you can also check us out wherever you stream your podcasts. If you know a local band or artist that you think should appear as guests on our show, let us know. Fill out the form on our website or send us an email to talkpsr at gmail.com. <laughs>